This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Good evening, everyone. You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Divorce is hard at the best of times, but when you divorce someone who may have a high conflict personality, it can be a whole new ball game of hell. Daily emails that read like novels about how you are the world's worst parent, how you're destroying your children with their horrific controlling behaviors, uh, sentence after sentence about how your children would be better off without you. I mean, you try to be amicable, you maybe you create a shared calendar to keep everyone in the loop about kids' activities. Yeah, you try to have conversations around what activities your kid should partake in. You try to avoid saying anything negative about your ex in front of your kids. You're living in this constant fear of the next verbal attack, never knowing when you might get served with the next court papers uh, or being badmouthed to family, friends, maybe co-workers and your children. And nobody understands the private hell that you're going through. Everyone has an opinion. It's easy to have an opinion when you're not emotionally attached or when it's not your own kids, you have to suffer the possible consequences. So what do you do? Do you take them to court? I mean, you both may have convincing stories and the judge doesn't really understand your children and their needs. And a judge may just order a cookie cutter parenting plan and wish you the best of luck. So again, what are you to do? Well, tonight I'll be diving into this very relevant topic with Leanne Townsend. Leanne is an entrepreneur and attorney experienced in the areas of family law and domestic violence. She is also not a stranger to the Dating and Relationships show. She is my go-to family lawyer. And tonight we're going to be discussing the ins and outs of how to manage a high-conflict divorce. Well, welcome back, my lovely friend Leanne. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm happy to be here. How are you? I'm good too. Yeah. My assistant's away, you know, this week's a little hectic, but here we are here managing. We are. Right. <laughs> so let's start off with what is a high conflict divorce? Um, I would say a high conflict divorce is a divorce where the parties uh, just cannot agree on either anything or, you know, very little, whether it's to do with the financial issues, the parenting issues, both. Um, there's just a whole lot of disagreeing going on. And, and it, it almost takes an, a, a form of disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing, um, rather than approaching it to try and find some common ground and work out some solutions. It's, it's just about fighting, fighting, fighting. E oh, you poor thing. And you're stuck right <laughs> in the middle. Of it. They are tough ones. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what are, you know, you mentioned a couple of them, um, like financials, the kids, like what are some other common things that, you know, both parties have difficulty agreeing on, would you say? Um, I mean, a lot of it is sub issues of those two categories. So for example, with the kids, you know, they can't agree on a parenting schedule, you have, you know, one parent who wants to have primary residence and control the, you know, often, and I hate to say it's often the woman, um, you know, who wants to control the schedule of the children and thinks that because you know, they were more involved in the children's lives when the parties were together, that they should have, the, you know, some level, more level of control 
over the schedule um, and decision making. And so, you know, those are things that get argued about a lot. And then on the financial front, um, you know, support, um, should we sell the house? Shouldn't we sell the house? Are you buying me out of the house? Are you not buying me out of the house? What is someone's actual, you know, does someone, is someone hiding money? That can be, you know, another one where one of the parties is concerned that their spouse is hiding money and are they hiding money? And, you know, if someone's self-employed, is their in- what is their income? Because often if you're self-employed, your income on your tax return is not necessarily a reflection of what your income for support purposes would be. So they'll argue about that. Um, you know, there's some couples who will just argue about anything just for the sake of arguing. And then, you know, there's somewhere there's, you know, legitimate issues there that, are being argued about because one party is taking a really unreasonable position on certain things. Now, do you think that the ladies should have more control in the instance that they were the primary caregiver when they were married? Um, I don't, that's a tough question. I think that the, the law would say that, um, you know, you have to look at the, what was the status quo. And if she was, um, you know, say a stay-at-home mom who was the primary caregiver, then that certainly is something that, you know, and, and so let's say dad has a really busy work schedule and travels a lot, then certainly, um, you know, the children should probably be with mom more. But there's some cases where, um, you know, when the couple was together, maybe mom did more of the stuff, but dad's prepared to step up now and be really involved now that they're separated. And he is a good dad and he does have time. He just maybe didn't, for whatever reasons in the dynamics of the marriage, didn't do it. And that's where it can be a really tough situation because a court would say if dad is ready, willing, and able that, Mm -hmm. you know, he should have that opportunity. And sometimes for mom, it can be a little bit infuriating that you know why didn't he do these things when we were together it would have made my life a lot easier and you know maybe we wouldn't have even gotten divorced if I had this level of cooperation when we were together so that's where that can create a little bit of conflict yeah I can relate it to um breaking up with an ex and we both shared a dog and I was the primary caregiver of that dog (laughs) I took care of that dog daily it would travel back and forth with me because I lived in Canada and the US, US at that time. And he wanted the dog. And I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. he's my dog because I took care of him really. So, and he follows me around. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but, it's, it is similar. You know, they, the mom feels she's been, you know, she's the one who got up in the middle of the night when the kids were mm-hmm. sick. She's the one who packed lunches and, you know, did all these things. And, and then all of a sudden now, you know, after, you know, eight years or six years or whatever, dad's saying, oh, well, I can do those things too. Um, that can, I can understand how that can be upsetting. Yeah. And, what can complicate it too is that the, the child support can be tied to the parenting schedule. So, you know, you can have to, you can receive more child support if you have the children, you know, more of the time. And so sometimes people think that their spouse is, you know, increasing or reducing the parenting schedule time in order to receive or, or pay less child support. Yeah, I, I, and I see that. I have seen that often, actually. Uh, would you say that high conflict divorces are more likely in certain situations, like cheating, for example? Um, w- would you say it's, it's, it's more of like a revenge thing? 
Um, it can be. I mean, you know, again, it's I think it's really unique to the parties that are in, involved. And, you know, there are certainly people who are cheated on and they're not in a high conflict divorce. Um, it, it's I think a high conflict divorce is more common when you have parties who both want control. Um, and so there's like a it's a battle over you know, the control of things. Um, and that, you know, leads to more of the conflict. But, you know, certainly if, if you've really wronged someone and hurt someone, it, it's going to increase the likelihood that they will want, you know, revenge or they, they've got emotional scars that are fueling their anger and their desire to, you know, be engaged in conflict. So, um, something like cheating, uh, you know, I have, I've seen situations where there was cheating and that they, the person who was cheating got the, uh, you know, they're cheating, the person they were cheating with pregnant and, you know, you're dealing with that and, you know, how could that almost not be a high conflict divorce? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In order to be in a high conflict divorce, do both parties have to be in high conflict? <laughs> Um, not necessarily. I mean, it certainly is like, I would say more common that in a high conflict divorce, you have two people who are, you know, fueling the conflict, um, rather than just one. But I think it is possible where you have one person who's reasonable and one person who's, you know, abusive and so unreasonable that it becomes high conflict because the reasonable person is, is just going to have to like, be walked all over in order to have no conflict. So even just by being reasonable, it can become high conflict. Um, and, you know, I think there's some people, it's it's almost like a dance that they're doing. It's the nature of their relationship where, you know, one party does this and then the other party does this in response. And then that triggers the other party to do a certain behavior. And they both set each other off um, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. Uh, and it just causes the conflict to spiral. Yeah. And, and so one, one last question before the break, like how common are these high conflict divorces? Like, do you see more of that or more, you know, people just ready to be amicable and work things out? Um, I see, like, I see a lot of it, but it's because I do a lot of litigation. So I think, you know, generally out there um, in the whole, you know, if you look at the whole population, I would say that high conflict divorces are just a a much smaller portion of divorces. Most, most people can't afford to be in a high conflict divorce. And, Mm -hmm. you know, most people just kind of recognize it's not helping the children. It's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't go that route. So it's a small portion of divorces, but in a, you know, a litigation practice, it, it can, you know, know, you can take up a lot of your, your client base because they're the ones who create, you know, the most, the most work for lawyers because they're always in conflict. Thank you. We're going to stop to take a quick break. After the break, we're going to be discussing the disadvantages of being in a high conflict divorce. And if you are in one now, how you can bring that conflict down. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640. I'm your host, Laura Bellata, joined by my guest, Leanne Townsend. Getting back to our chat on dealing with a high-conflict divorce. Interesting conversation today, Leanne. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're helping a lot of people as well. You know, I mean... 
have you seen a rise in divorces after COVID or well, I guess we're still I going through it, but yeah, I'd love to hear. Yeah, no, I definitely have. And it's funny because I was just um, speaking with another lawyer earlier this morning and we were chatting about how we both noticed uh, a rise in divorces and, and just the, the nasty, nastiness. Um, I, you know, again, I don't know if it's just my practice, but there just seems to be a level of conflict and nastiness that has increased um, since the beginning of COVID really like nastiness I wonder why like why more so I, yeah, I guess because of all this well I guess like people are just fed up with what's going on as well I think yeah you, know, you can yeah you, you they've reached their limits you can only take so much and then add divorce to the mix and it's like oh <laughs> like when is this gonna stop no, exactly. I mean, I, I find just generally, even in society, I think there's just more of a, you know, people are just fed up and they're tired and they're, you know, and so it's translating over into, you know, relationships and families and, you know, with just not even just COVID, you know, we've got the inflation and we've got, you know, interest rates going up and it's expensive and people are worried about the housing market. And there's a lot of stress on everyone right now. Yeah. And, you know, stress, of course, often leads to conflict, right? Because people take out their stress on their their loved ones and their family members and it, you know it's going to create conflict in a, in a marriage and conflict in a divorce yeah I, I agree all right now do you think that lawyers play a role in creating this high conflict because well you know there are those lawyers known to want to keep you spending your money I know that you're not one of them I know that <laughs> yes I do well, thank you and it's awesome but there are those lawyers that do that there are. I mean, I, I don't, you know, want to disparage anyone in, in my profession, but, you know, there definitely are. And, you know, when I get a client, I, you know, one of the things I, the first things I check is to see who the opposing counsel is on the other side, because that often can set the tone for how the matter is going to proceed. And there um, are some lawyers that I think unnecessarily litigate and do things and you know because often as well like clients don't understand so they think that their lawyer is being really nasty and aggressive like they're right in there yeah like keep doing that and oh that's is great but what they don't understand is that um, often that does just make things higher conflict and result in more fighting and more litigation and more costs rather than a lawyer who tries to take a more amicable approach where they're not disparaging the other party and the other party's lawyer, um, and they're trying to work towards results and solutions. And so, you know, I think there's definitely lawyers out there who add to the conflict and there's clients who just don't understand that that really might not be helping their case. Mm -hmm. Well, those lawyers need to get their license revoked. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, should, there definitely should be a consequence for it, there you know, like be. because clients have consequences in that if you bring a legal, you know, if you take a position in a, a court matter and you lose, you might have to pay the legal costs of the opposing party. And, you know, and I think that, I mean, this wouldn't be a popular topic for lawyers, but maybe there should be more, you know, lawyers being personally sanctioned if, if it can be proven that they you know, added to the conflict in some way or gave, you know, legal advice that escalated the conflict unnecessarily. So what are some of the things that a lawyer can do to try to resolve this conflict in order to keep the cost down? Well, and this is this is one of the most challenging types of situations to be in as a lawyer is if, if the other party 
is, you know, very aggressive and their lawyer is very, very aggressive and it's a high conflict divorce. Um, it, you know, you sometimes, unfortunately, you have to fight that type of approach with, you know, being more aggressive back, but you have to pick your battles because if you just fight, 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 it, it really is only going to make the lawyers richer and it's not going to help the clients. You know, one, one of the ways that things often can get escalated is when people are firing emails back and forth, whether it's clients or lawyers. I mean, I find if I sometimes I'll get an email from another lawyer that really gets me get you know really irks me um and you know the first tendency is to want to like write back right away and put them in their place and, and all of that but I deliberately don't because I want to make sure that I write from an unemotional calm and most importantly professional standpoint um and so you know I think that kind of thing like the same types of conflict um reduction skills that your client might use you can use them yourself as a lawyer, um, I also think that, you know, if you can work with the other lawyer, like if it really is the clients creating the conflict and not, not the lawyers, which is the case in, in many situations as well, that as lawyers, you can work together to try and reduce the conflict and get the clients focused on res productive results and moving forward and not just adding to the conflict. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to choose the right lawyer as well. You choose the right lawyer that respects you and believes in your case because I've seen situations where people hire lawyers and they've literally told me like I think my lawyer is against me like they're not fighting hard enough for me and and maybe that's because they don't respect them as a person they don't believe them um and <laughs> you know they 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 actually don't believe that they um deserve what they're asking for have you seen these kind of cases um, I mean, I, I think I've seen them. I think that's where communication becomes really important, you know, with the client and the lawyer, because the lawyer is the advocate for the client. And if a client feels their lawyer isn't advocating for them, then the client you know, should be having that conversation with their lawyer. And maybe that isn't the right lawyer for them. And I agree with what you said at the beginning there, Laura, is it is really important to choose the right lawyer for you. And not every lawyer is the right person for everybody or for every case. And so, you know, like I always say, if, you know, like some of these lawyers who want to come in like a pit bull and fight, 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 fight. That's that's not my style. So if that's what someone's looking for, then I'm not the right lawyer for them. Um, you know, I tend to draw a lot of clients who appreciate my compassion and my empathetic nature and knowing that I will fight on the important issues and that I'm results oriented, not just about putting the other party in their place and that sort of thing. So, you know, it people really need to be wise and ask the right questions um, and not be intimidated by their lawyers. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are afraid to to question their lawyer um, or why they did something or that they're not getting back to them quickly enough. And it is, you know, at the end of the day, you're the client, you're paying your lawyer and you're probably paying them a lot of money. So you should not be intimidated or afraid to ask them questions that you want answered. And if they're not, you know, doing things the way you want them done to, to have a conversation with them about it. Yeah. And fire them. Right yeah, and fire them. I mean, <laughs> you know, like just, but be careful who you select the next time because you don't want to, if, if you get in a pattern of going through lawyers, then that ends up looking bad 
on you. You know, like if, if I get someone coming to me for a consultation and they've already had two or three other lawyers, I, that's usually a red flag that the lawyers aren't the problem. It's the client that is the mm-hmm. problem. But but certainly like changing lawyers like, you know, once because a lot of people jump to hire someone very quickly because they feel they need to just get someone retained and they don't, do, you know, ask the right questions and interview more than one and then they regret it. And, you know, so certainly in that type of situation, it's better to get someone that you feel is the right lawyer for your situation. Wonderful. All right. Let's talk about the disadvantages of being in a high conflict divorce. I know effects on the children is one. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very stressful for children mm-hmm. of any age, even, even adult children, let alone younger children living in a, in a home with their parents, you know, to be in the middle of a high conflict divorce. And so anyone out there who is in a high conflict divorce needs to be mindful of the effects it's having on their children and they should be putting their children first. And I mean, it doesn't mean that you roll over and, you know, let the other party have everything they want in order to, you know, get the children out of the conflict. But it does mean that you need to do your best to keep them out of the conflict and not talk to them um, about what's going on. And definitely don't try and get them to choose sides because sometimes in high conflict divorces, that's what happens. The children are dragged into it. And, you know, that each parent is trying to use the children as a weapon against the other parent. And in those types of situations, all you're doing is causing a lot of damage to your child, emotional damage. It's it's abusive. And, um, you know, that's to me as a parent, that's just a horrible thing to do to your child. Um, And so if you are involved in a high conflict divorce, it's important that parents be mindful that their children love both of their parents. And so putting them in the middle of conflict or asking them to choose sides is is going to cause your children enormous anxiety and enormous stress. And I've never seen a high conflict divorce where the children weren't exhibiting um, outward symptoms of high anxiety. Poor kids. Yes. I always say people need licenses to have children. Hopefully yeah, that'll I, be our hopefully that'll be our future. It it should be because it's pretty easy to have children, unfortunately. And uh, there's a lot of people that you know they just. I, I think part it's not even intentional. I mean, most parents you know they do love their children, but they're so caught up in the emotions and feeling wronged and feeling angry that they just completely forget about how it's affecting their children. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're a parent and you're not, and you're so fired up and angry, like you're not going to be fully present for your child either. Yeah. Um, how about the fact that, you know, being in a high conflict divorce as well costs so much more money. I, I, I have a friend that spent $150,000 on their divorce. Well, no, first it was 40,000 with the one lawyer, but I think they got some of that back because the lawyer wasn't doing a good job at all. But then they spent another 150,000 after that. Like, it's just horrible. I mean, why would anyone want that? You lost most of what you have. So what's the anyway, point? It's ridiculous. But people, you know, there are people who do that. And, and high conflict divorces definitely cost more because you're the more conflict that there is, 
the more you're going to need your lawyer and the more you're in court and the more you're bringing motions and arguing, again, it becomes very, very expensive. And the reality is most people can't afford that. A, a, most like a middle class family to be in, involved in protracted litigation where each side is spending $100,000, $150,000 or more. I mean, I've seen 500000 even on legal. Yikes. It's insane. And that's money that could have been going to your children. It could have been going to your children's education. It could have been going to a vacation and multiple vacations or a house or, you know, a down payment on a house, like all kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, I remember a lawyer saying to me once that they would say to their clients, you can either pay for your own children's education or you can pay for mine. And uh, there's some truth in that because. Uh, wait a sec. Wait a sec. You looked away. It sounded like you were in a tunnel. So can you say that again? Yeah, it just got. Yeah, it's important. Just maybe talking to the computer. Yeah, because our sound's going to be off. Okay, and there's some truth in that. Um, you know, you if you're paying, having to pay your lawyer a lot of money, you, you're taking money away from the family. And when you're in in a divorce, the 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 net family property, like so, the the family assets are being cut in half. And so most, you know, each party is ending up with less than what they had together. And then you factor in spending a whole bunch of money on legal fees and you're, you know, reducing mm -hmm. the family pie even more. Yeah. Great, great tips. We're going to take a, another quick break. When we come back, it's time to give you advice on how to protect yourself from a high conflict divorce. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. It's Sunday night. You're listening to AM640. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca with family lawyer Leanne Townsend discussing everything you need to know if you are going through a conflict divorce and the reasons to stay out of one if your relationship is heading towards divorce. And before the break, we were um, talking about some of the disadvantages of being in a high conflict divorce. We went over the effects on the children. It costs more money. Leanne, what about bad for your mental health? Because stress, stress definitely, kills. <laughs> definitely stress kills and a high, you know, high conflict is causes enormous stress and it is it's terrible for you know people's mental health and uh and physical health quite frankly because if your mental health is suffering your physical health can suffer too so um you know that's definitely another disadvantage of being in a high conflict divorce um you know depression anxiety substance abuse all those things can you know result from being engaged in such a high conflict situation yeah. Are there any other disadvantages that you can think of um, before we move on? Um, well, this kind of ties in a little bit with the mental health one is that it takes longer to recover from a high conflict divorce um, mm -hmm. you know, it, because the deeper your anger and your resentment and, you know, all of those things, the more work it's going to take to 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 get over that and to recover from it. And also financially, it's going to take you a lot longer to recover as well. So um, that you know, it, it's, it definitely can affect you mentally, emotionally, financially, um, physically, <laughs> you know, all of those things, and it's going to take longer to recover. Yeah. Now, what if your spouse is high conflict, you're not? How, like, are there ways that we can bring that conflict down? Any tips um, on that? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, again, it's this idea of when to engage and when not to engage. And so, okay. um, you know, if your spouse is high conflict, uh, you know, and they send you a nasty email, for example, the worst thing you can do is just respond back right away, accusing them of a bunch of things. It's, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't engage, it doesn't f- fuel the fire. So from a, you know, from a legal standpoint, there's battles that you're going to fight and you have your legal position, regardless of the level of conflict and and your lawyer will advocate for you on those positions, but you don't need to engage in back and forths with your spouse separately exchanging nasty emails and nasty accusations and, you know, involving the children. And, you know, so I think one of the best ways to keep conflict down is to only communicate, you know, through things like, um, email or there's you know apps like our family wizard that are specifically designed for couples who are co-parenting where maybe there's a lot of conflict and it's better for them just to communicate through an app and so those types of things can help bring the conflict down because they're not engaging as much and there's a record of of the communication they're having which they know can be used in court so they're more liable to be more respectful and and that sort of thing so that's definitely a way that can help reduce the conflict yeah put everything down in writing I've learned that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, 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 you know, and if you're not high high conflict and your spouse is again, like you're going to work with your lawyer and pick the things that you want to fight for and fight for those, but you don't have to fight on if you're, if you were high conflict, you'd just be fighting over everything for the sake of fighting for, for things versus being strategic about what you're fighting for. And, you know, I had a case recently where, you know, the parties were fighting over a key to a washroom, um, And we literally probably spent half a day arguing about it as lawyers. And uh, it just to me was it was crazy that they were spending that kind of money over something that just seems so unimportant in some ways. Um, And, you know, I had another case where we spent like a whole day literally arguing about two hours on a Thursday night with the children. And again, it, it just, you know, people dig in their heels and. But if one person is willing to kind of disengage and pull out and just be strategic about what they want and not fighting on every single issue, that will definitely help bring the conflict down. Yeah. And a high conflict person is usually a bully, right? And and thrives on confrontation. And they'll usually twist what you say and use your words against you. And I, and I love that. I think it's you know important to minimize the contact as much as possible and just keep things short and sweet. And also, exactly. like, I would say eliminate face-to-face meetings, too, when possible. Yes. You want to meet up with them. No, for sure. You don't want to have face-to-face um, communication. And you don't even want to have phone communication. It's better if it's in writing because people are less liable to be you know, as aggressive, although, I mean, people do write some pretty nasty emails, but it's still, it gives you a chance to also hit pause before you respond. Whereas if you're on the phone or you're face to face and someone says something that upsets you or triggers you, you just respond right away without, you know, hitting pause and thinking about how you want to respond. Do you think people should have, like, let's say they they were to make a phone call, should they have their phone on record just in case? Um, that's a good, the PI in me. (laughs) No, I mean, it's a great question. And a lot of people do that. Um, the courts don't like 
when people are secretly recording, okay, you know, other people. Um, but I mean, sometimes it, it's necessary, you know, because if you get accused of something and you have a recording that shows that you didn't do that, um, well, the court may frown on the fact that you did a recording, it's going to disprove you know, what happened. And, you know, and certainly where there's abuse, I think recording things can be really helpful. I've heard of people really recording people like setting up, setting up their place to, to just catch them in that, in that moment. And uh, I think it's nasty really when you have, when you're in a relationship like that, where you fear being recorded, I think you need to get out of it. Uh, for sure when people can use recordings like they to try and as you just sort of were touched to set you up so they 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 know they're recording you and so they try and 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 upset you and trigger you so that you'll react a certain way and you know that's and that is one of the reasons why the courts don't like the recordings is you don't know what went on before the record was hit you don't know what went on after and you know from that standpoint they're not you know always that helpful Oh, good to know. Thank you. Uh, Now, this might sound like a silly question, but are there any advantages to a high conflict divorce? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I, I don't, I've racked my brain and I really don't think there are any, I, you know, I I can't say. I didn't think so, but you know, I mean, maybe somebody feels like they fought for what they wanted. I I don't know, but I just don't see uh, how there's any advantage at the end of the day. Is it litigation before court? No, litigation is in court. Now, just quickly before the break, do high conflict divorces always end up in court where they're being litigated? Not always. Um, certainly a higher percentage of them do, and certainly a higher percentage of the, the cases that are in the court system are high conflict matters. But um, high conflict cases, you know, they sometimes can just be still lawyer negotiated or they can end up in mediation um, or mediation and arbitration. There, there's more challenges to it. I mean, especially with mediation, because if people aren't going to agree on anything, it's going to be very hard for a mediator to to get an agreement, but mediation combined with arbitration, where um, if they don't agree, the mediator can then become an arbitrator, just like a judge, um, and make a final decision. You know that can certainly uh, happen. Um, but I think with high conflict divorces, it is important that you have some sort of independent um, body, whether it's a court or a, a mediator, arbitrator, mm-hmm. in there to kind of almost referee the situation. Thank you. Well, listen, we'll be right back. It's time for one last quick break, and then we'll be discussing why it's important to make your divorce as peaceful as possible and how to do just that. Stay with us. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640. I'm Laura Bellata with Leanne Townsend, family lawyer, right here in Toronto, actually. <laughs> and That's getting great. back to yeah, and getting back to our discussion on dealing with conflict in divorce. You may feel angry and betrayed now, and legitimately so, but acting on those feelings by forcing a high conflict court battle is not going to change the past. And it's definitely not going to help you move on with your life. So Leanne, why is it important to try to make your divorce as peaceful as possible by having a low conflict divorce? 
I think it's important on a number of fronts. I mean, financially, first of all, it's mm-hmm. going to be less expensive for you if you're not fighting on every possible issue. Um, if you have children involved, a low conflict mm-hmm. divorce is going to be ideal because at the end of the day, you have to co-parent these children, you know, for many years to come quite often. And, you know, it's hard for them if their parents hate each other, Um So for the sake of your children, most importantly, um, it's important to try and have a low conflict divorce. Um, And also just for yourself, for your own mental health um, and physical health, Uh, you know, pick your battles, don't fight over everything. And, you know, recognize that um, you need support. And, you know, it's, it's a journey and a healing process. And it's a research shows that divorce is, uh, you know, one of life's most stressful events. So it's important that if you keep the conflict lower, it's going to be less stressful. Um, So it'll help you move on with your life much more quickly as well. Yeah. And if I was to add anything in there, I'd say it's good for your social life. Because I, I find that high conflict divorces, they split your social circle because friends, right. They have, they feel like they have to pick sides or they may be overwhelmed with the, the drama of it all. And then they may just fade away. And you that's very true. And then even like in your specialty with the, the dating life, I mean, there's nothing worse than going on a date with someone who's in the middle of a high conflict divorce. And oh all my goodness. Talk about it. <laughs> also, if I may add, it's good for your career because when you're stressed out and I know this, you know, this is me when I'm stressed out, I, I, it's hard for me to eat. It's hard for me to sleep, to concentrate, especially. And once you move on from all that divorce drama, you're going to be more at ease, which is also going to give you that room to excel at your job. So it all comes down to, again, you know, stress levels, keeping those stress levels down. Good for your mental health. Exactly. You'll, you're, you'll just be your best all round if you can keep your stress levels down and have less conflict. Mm-hmm. All right. So what if we've tried to have this low conflict divorce um, with our ex and then our ex makes it impossible? What are some steps that we can take to survive this high conflict divorce? Because this that- is going to happen. <laughs> It is going to happen in some cases. And, you know, I think the most important thing somebody can do in that situation is to get the right supports in place. So, you know, it starts with having, you know, a good lawyer who understands your case, understands you and who you feel you can communicate well with. Um, It's also important to, you know, make sure you have friends who are there to, you know, support you or, you know, and family members that are not your children that can be of support, a therapist, um, a divorce coach, you know, a good financial advisor. Um, You know, if you've got all of these people on your team, or at least some of them, because you might not be able to afford to have all of them, um, you know, it'll help give you the support you need. So with the stress of the high conflict divorce, you'll at least, you know, feel supported and maybe be able to reduce some of that stress by relying on these people to help get you through those tough spots. Yeah, and I think you mentioned, we mentioned prior, uh, just minimizing your contact with the person, you know, yes. because they, they generally, a person who likes a, a lot of conflict is, can, can tend to be a bully, right? And yeah. then also watching what you say, too, because what you say can be used against you. 
So, and I think you mentioned this as well, it's how you react. So if he sends an email and you like explode and you're angry and it's just, so kind of take it in and, and just watch, you know, how you, how you respond to their messages. Exactly. Like be mindful of how you're responding. You know, are you, are you rising the level of conflict or raising the level of conflict or are you lowering the level of conflict? Are you being respectful or are you being disrespectful? Um, If this email that you're sending or a text that you're sending were to be put in front of a judge, how would the judge perceive what you're saying? Uh, Because that could happen too. So it's just good to be mindful about your communication, even if the other party isn't, because nothing makes somebody look worse than when some one person's like a raging lunatic and the other one is just very calm. Um, you know, it, it's going to that's going to bode well in, on your case and, uh, you know, just on your life generally. What about co-parenting with a high conflict person? What if they make it impossible for you? Because I'll be honest, I, I chose I mean, I never did get married. I would get married now, but I, I wasn't interested in, in it when I was younger. But, um, and I chose not to have just randomly have children, right? Like some people do that. They'll just have children. But I knew that I wouldn't be able to deal with the stress of not being with that person and co-parenting with that person within the home. So I just mm-hmm. never did it. Now, what if you are going through a situation with a high conflict person and and they are, they're making it impossible for you. Well, it's definitely very hard to co-parent in a high conflict divorce. Um, it, it really is. And so some of the things that people do when they're in that situation, I mean, one of them is that what we talked about, the parenting apps, like our family wizard and, and other apps where they can communicate on parenting issues through an app. In some situations, parties um, have to retain a parenting coordinator and the parenting coordinator, um, you know, basically coordinates stuff for the children um, through each parent. The parents don't have to deal with each other directly. And the parenting coordinator is that independent, you know, third party that helps with the parenting issues. And, you know, again, if you can afford to do that and you're in a high conflict divorce, a parenting coordinator can be a very helpful solution. Mm -hmm. Well, Leanne, you have been such an amazing guest again. And I, you know, I'd love uh, for anybody who's listening to this show today, who's going through a divorce or is thinking about going through a divorce uh, to contact you because you are the best of the best. How can people get a hold of you? They can find me at my website, which is www.leantownsend.ca. And all of my contact information is there. I'm also active on social media. You can find me on Instagram, Leanne Townsend Life. I'm on on LinkedIn, Facebook, but everything uh, is on my website. So that's the best place to check me out. And what is the name of your practice? Townsend Family Law. Love it. Uh, And guys, um, if you're interested in finding love, right? Um, if you just got out of a divorce, please don't come and see me. Well, maybe if the divorce is done, but if you're thinking about getting a divorce, do not come and see me yet. <laughs> you can although read the resources on my website, singleinthecity.ca. But if you are ready to find love again, please come and see me and allow me to help you find love. Again, check out singleinthecity.ca. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at official Laura Bellotta. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and every week. Ciao for now.